Amen. I don't know if you heard about the pastor that was driving down the road and he saw a group of kids standing around a dog. And he thought, what is going on? And he was a little concerned about kind of their body posture. And so he wanted to make sure the dog was okay. And he pulled over and walked up and said, "Uh, kids, what are you doing? And uh, they were standing there and they said, well, uh, we don't know who this dog belongs to. And we're trying to decide who's going to get him. And so we're having a contest. Whoever can tell the biggest lie gets the dog. And uh, the pastor looked at the kids and said, kids, you know, I, I love the fact you want to care for this dog, but lying is never okay. And, and to use that as a contest isn't a good idea. And I want to tell you something. When I was your age, I would never tell a lie. Well, all the kids looked at him and go, okay, you win. And they gave it to him. <laughs> We're in the midst of a, a series out of the, the letter to the second, it called Second Corinthians to the Corinthian people. And and Paul is talking about what it really means to live the authentic Christian life. And if you've been with us, we said that there are five marks that just flow out of an authentic Christian life. And and you don't have to manufacture them. They just happen in our hearts and lives. And so what happens is we see that a Christian has unquenchable optimism. They have unvarying success. They uh, They make an unforgettable impact wherever they go. They hopefully live their lives with unimpeachable integrity. And there is an undeniable reality that they actually know the Lord. The more you get around them, you see there's something else happening. And when we live this life, amazing things occur. But then Paul says, how is it even possible to live this life? Well, in chapter 3, he says, it's by the grace of God. It's not by the letter of the law. It's not by a list of do's and don'ts. It's by the grace of God that comes upon us and empowers us and moves us. And he said, it's incredible. Then in chapter 4, he says something else, though. He says, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus and are transformed into his image, we find the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So it's a grace-filled life, a spirit-empowered life that helps us to do this. And then Paul says something else. He says, and you know what happens to us is we find a courage uh, that just wells up inside of us. And that's why he says, uh, uh, and, and the whole idea in chapter 5 is that, in, if you look down at verse 8, it says, and we are of good courage. It's just this amazing courage that comes in our life. And we find that happening and moving in our life. If you look up at verse 6, it goes, therefore, being always of good courage. Uh, uh, fear is eradicated and we begin to live this whole new life and we're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of life. We're not afraid of the circumstances changing. It's this a courageous lifestyle you're called to. Well, what we're about to ask now is this. What is it that motivates you and I to do what we do? What is it that causes us to uh, actually find something uh, almost prodding us or, or providing energy to move forward? What is it that causes us to get up in the morning and say, I want to live life for the Lord. And we want to live life day by day with him and for him. What is it that makes us decide to say yes to some things and no to others? It's not the letter of the law. It is the grace of God. But there's some motivations that occur. And when motivation happens in your life, amazing things can happen. There was a man one time who uh, was out really late and he had promised his wife that he would be home early. And uh, what happened is he had decided to walk to where he was going and and he stayed later than he should have. Now he lived in kind of this country area and he got out of there and he realized, oh man, I promised her I wouldn't be late, I better hurry. So he's hauling as fast as he can and then he decides to take a shortcut through a graveyard. Now it's late at night, it's dark and he, he hops the fence and he's going through this graveyard And he thinks, wait a minute, this is the very thing they say in the movies not to do. 
I'm looking around. He's looking around. I'm a lonely. I, I'm all alone here. And, and now as he's going, it just seems like it's worse and worse. The moon starts to come out. The fog starts to roll. He's thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. He's almost tempted to turn back. Then he thought, no, I'm just going to get through here as quick as I can. He takes off running and then he trips and he falls into an open grave. Now, he's, he's lays there for a moment. He tries to decide if he's hurt or not. And he gets up and he looks up at this high grave. And they had dug it double because it was going to be a two-casket grave eventually. And so he's thinking, oh my gosh. And he jumps to grab the side and he can't grab it. He jumps again. He can't grab it. He goes all the way to the back, runs forward, jumps. And he's always just falling. It just gives way. And he thought, well, there's nothing I can do. I might as well just sit here till tomorrow. And when they come to do the funeral, are they going to be shocked? So he sits down in the corner there in the darkness and he's just thinking, okay, man, I can't believe this happened. And then all of a sudden he hears a thud and he looks over and he can see another man has fallen in the grave. And the guy gets up and he goes, oh, and he jumps to grab himself out and he falls back. He jumps to get out again. And this other guy sitting in the darkness said, you'll never get out of here. And he did. He was out in a second and gone. You would too, right? You know, uh, that, there's motivation. When motivation happens, it changes everything. So let me ask you this. What is it that motivates you? And Paul says, if we're living this authentic Christian life, we have amazing motivation. Now notice what the first one is. We're motivated by our desire to please him. Look what it says in verse 9. Therefore, because we walk by faith and not by sight, because we're not afraid of death, because we know, we know this, that if we were to die, we're immediately caught into the presence of the Lord. It says in verse 9, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, whether, and by that home, he means living in this world or absent from this world and being with the Lord, I'm sorry, at home with the Lord or absent from the body. We have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to him. He said, the number one thing that motivates me is that I want to please God. There's nothing more important to me than that. This is the huge difference between the authentic Christian life and the false view of the Christian life. Uh, the, the wrong view, the false view, the facade, the fake, the inauthentic life is where I go, well, I go to church for me, and I live life for me, and I'm a Christian so I can go to heaven, and, I, I, and it's all about me. And you know what Paul says? That's not how I live. I live my life wanting to please him. I don't know if you've read the, the book uh, uh, by Rick Warren on the whole idea of the purpose-driven life. But, but the, the key phrase is the very beginning line, and then it says, it's not about me. And, and if we haven't grabbed hold of that, then we've missed everything. Jesus talks about a life where if we come after him, we must deny self and take up our cross and follow him. It's not about me. And whenever I use me-oriented terms and self-oriented terms and selfish ideas, I haven't understood what it really means to be the kind of person that, that, that this book calls me to, that the Holy Spirit calls me to, that the grace of God calls me to. And we need to understand that what we got to do is say, Lord, it's about you. It's all about you. That's why when we're in, in, in motivated by a love for God, we want to obey his commands. In John 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 15, verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. The reason I wanted to obey the Lord is because I love him. And, and see, when someone says, Oh, I guess you Christians can't do this, or you can't do that, they've missed the whole point. 
You know, if you walked up to me and said, oh, so you're married to Pam? And I said, yeah, oh, what a bummer. You can't date anybody else. Well, that, I don't care. Matter of fact, when I watch all of you have to go through the dating ritual, I praise God every moment I don't have to. <laughs> it's not that I can. I don't want to. I'm so in love with her. And why do I and why do you want to obey the Lord? It, it's not a burden to us. It's not like we go, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I have to do this. As a matter of fact, in 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see, that's what someone who's never discovered the true love of God probably can't grab hold of. Uh, why is it that, that a, a teenager uh, living in a world like ours where purity is attacked and the whole idea of living a pure life is, is always under the gun? As a matter of fact, in an article in the newest uh, Time magazine, there's purity balls going on across the country. Well, guess what all the intellectuals are doing? They're attacking that, saying it's wrong to teach young girls purity. Can you believe it? And you know what? They would say, because you know what? They, no one should tell them what to do. And, and they ought to be able to live out their sexual act. And, and we go, no, 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 you missed the whole point. Because we love God. A love for God changes everything. A love for God uh, motivates us to live a different life around us. You know, that's why we say no to certain things. It's out of a love for him. It's why we say yes to what he calls us to do. It's out of a love for him. And when we grab hold of that, it changes it all. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago I was talking with a young guy and uh, we were talking about where he was at with the Lord, his spiritual issues. And uh, it came up that he had not been baptized. And I said, well, man, that's something you need to do. And he looked at me and said, well, I don't want to be. And I said, really? And now, in the old days, years ago, what I would do is I would argue it. I would get out the verses and show them, you know, what baptism says in the Bible. And I would show them, you know, the Greek word baptize means to dip, submerge, or plunge. I would talk about the idea in Romans 6 that baptism is a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That the early church for 300 years only baptized by immersion. Uh, that it was done on adults in the Bible exclusively. It was never done on a child. I would go through all that with them. But you know what? I quit doing that. And with this guy, I looked at him and I said, well, I got to ask you a question. And he said, what's that? I said, do you really love Jesus? He said, well, you know I do. I said, you know what? I really believe you do. Do you love him with all your heart? And he goes, yeah. And I go, guess what? Jesus wants you to be baptized. And I showed him Matthew 28. You know, it says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them. I said, are you a disciple? Yeah. Well, Jesus wants me to baptize you. Now, I want to ask you, do you love him? He goes, you know what? I do. I said, do you realize it's not about a ceremony, it's about an experience with Jesus. It's a time where you connect with him. And he goes, I never, I, and he goes, well, I want to do it now. So well, let's wait till Sunday. He goes, no, I want to do it now. <laughs> you know, and it all changed. It all changed. Now, now see, here's the point. When, when all those kind of things go out the window, when we begin to understand what it means to live in a love relationship with him, what happens is we read God's word and we say, here's what he expects, here's what he wants, here's what, now don't miss this line, what he delights in. And because God delights in that and I want to please him, it changes my motives. It causes a new motivation to occur. That's why in Romans 14 verse 7, listen to this. It says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. See, that's the authentic Christian life where I don't live it for me. I live it for him and I don't live it for self. I, I do it for God. It's the overall motivation. 
Paul says it's like a soldier in active service. In 2 Timothy 2.4, he says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now here's why. Ready? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now I want to have you think that through because if you're living the kind of life you were called to live and made to live, then God says to you and to me, you would do it motivated with the desire to please the Lord, with the desire to, to make sure he is pleased with how you think and act and, and the reason you do what you do and how you treat people and how you use your time and how you, you say yes to certain things and no to others. It's all about that. In James chapter 4, verse 13, James gave an overarching principle about how we live our life when he said this, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away instead. Instead of going, oh, I've got this plan and this plan and this plan. It's not wrong to have plans. But he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. If the Lord wills. That's what we always ask. If I'm really living this life, I go, God, what is your will? Verse 16 says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to everyone who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. In other words, when I know what God wants me to do and out of desire to please him, I should do it. If not, it's sin. It's wrong. And the Lord says, if I'm not living my life, Chuck, if you're not living your life, Saying, God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? And then I'm off base. I'm not living correctly. Uh, a year ago, I, 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 you know, about a year and a half ago, I, I was approached by some people here saying, would you come be the senior pastor at Crossroads? And I had had a plan. And my plan, I was going to be at CCV the rest of my life. The elders and I had talked about that. We even had started paving a way for retirement, you know, another 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, even starting talking about transition over there. I, I had it all laid out. But you know what? When the, the approach came, I said, oh, I'll pray about it. And I had to ask this question. God, what is your will? What is your will? Uh, just last week, someone said, why did you come? And I can tell you why I came. I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt it was God's will. And, and you know what? Is, is in that moment, I said yes to him. And I didn't know what all it would mean. All I knew is that it, clearly God had called me. And it changes everything. And I hope that you could say, when God calls you, you're, you're, you're going to say yes to him no matter what. Because our motivation becomes, what is God's will, not what is my will? Uh, not too long ago, again, I'm going to tell a story. I have permission to share these two. I've got a third one I don't have permission to share. I'm telling it anyway. No, not really. Uh, uh, I'm talking to a, a, a girl who's a college-age girl. And uh, to be honest, I tried not to be judgmental, but I took a look at what she was wearing, and I thought, oh, that's not good. And so I, I thought, okay, how am I going to approach this, Lord? Am I supposed to say anything or not? And so I, I just prayed for an opportunity. And so we're talking, and, and uh, so finally it, it did pop up. And I, I got to say to her, um, okay, I know you're loving the Lord and everything, but I got to ask a question. Is your, your outfit reflecting that? And she goes, well, well, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, I want to ask you a question. Did you pray about it before you put it on? And I said, who are you dressing for? And I, and I said, I think you're probably dressing to get attention from guys. I don't want to be judged. She goes, no, that's not. I put on my outfit wondering what other girls think. And I said, well, I got to ask a question. Are you putting on your outfit asking what does God think? Are you dressing as a daughter of the Lord? I, I just got to ask you to think about it. And, and I thought, oh, I don't know how she's going to take this. And she looked at me and said, are you telling me you honestly don't think the Lord would pick this out? I said, you know what, I've got to be honest. 
If I was your dad, I wouldn't let you wear that out of the house. And I got a feeling your dad in heaven didn't want you to wear that out of the house. He wants guys to look at you with pure eyes. He wants to see you in purity. And she goes, I, I hadn't thought about that. And praise God, I've watched her change her dress. But what is the motivation? Is it because the church has a list of rules of what you can wear or can't wear? I think we need that. But, uh, uh, but that's not it. That's not it. The real motivation is doing it for God. And I really believe now that that's what she's going to be doing. As she looks at her outfit and says, Lord, is this going to please you? And, and Father, are you happy with this? Because that is how we live our life. We're motivated by our desire to please him. Every single area of our life from big to small. Now, we're also motivated by something else. Now, you ready for this? We're not only motivated by a desire to please him. If you really know the Lord, are you ready for this one? You're motivated by fear. Now, that's, that's something we don't talk a lot about, actually. We should more. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And by the way, God wants you to understand there's got to be a, a degree of fear of him. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It says this. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, means open to God, clear to God. And I hope that we are made manifest in your consciences. Now, now grab hold of that. Part of the motivation is to please him. Part of the motivation is fear. I, I don't know if you think about that, but God says, I, I, we understand who God is. We understand the magnitude he is, the power he has. By the way, reference that you're going to sit in judgment before God. And it says that ought to motivate you. That ought to make you think things differently. Uh, I had, a, and I've told you this before, an amazing father. My, my dad, I love him. I care about him. But I got to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of the times I did what I did out of a, a, I would call this a godly fear of my father. Because my father would apply the Board of Education to the seat of discipline. And uh, he practiced biblical laying on of hands. And, uh, but, you know, honestly, I, I really got to tell you that, you know, when I was a kid and I knew I got busted, man, there was something there. And there were times where I thought, if I, my dad catches me, and that caused me to rethink some things. Now, I don't call that abuse. I call that a good father. And, you know, I want to tell you something. When I got older and spankings ended, it still was there. And here's the wild thing. I did get a little rebellious in my teen years, but there were times I was like, my dad's going to find out, and that would stop me. Now, that, that's, that's the, a part of our relationship with God. It's a, a reverence for him. It's an idea for that to happen, and we need to understand it. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, uh, there is a time that fear is a positive motivator. When you're driving about 85 miles an hour down the freeway and you see a highway patrolman, honestly, do you... Don't you have that fear? Oh, he got me. Oh, no, you know. Now I want to ask you, do you slow down out of a love for the highway patrolman? I mean, you're driving down the road. Oh, I, I, that will hurt his feelings if I speed. Now, I know we had a lot of policemen here, but I got to be honest, I don't think anybody here really cares about your feelings in that moment. What is it that motivates us? And you know what? We know this. When there's an area where people are driving erratically constantly, what do they do? They just put a cop there, and it changes everybody's driving behavior. You know what? Is, is there is a part of us that needs to understand that God wants us to, to change our behavior because we know we're going to have to face up to him one day. Now, by the way, I want you to grab hold of that. When it says that we're going to be in front of the judgment seat of Christ, the Greek word that's used there is the idea of the bema seat. We're all going to appear before the bema seat. Now, now as a believer, 
as a believer, you will not enter into condemnation. If you're a follower of Christ, there's no condemnation there. But, but I do want to have you say something. You're going to have to own up to who you've been. Uh, uh, and there's a positive side of that. Now, let me give you another example. Being the, um, the leader of our organization here, uh, uh, we have instituted a policy that a minimum of once a year we have an employee review. Now, there's some reasons to do that. One is we want to reward people who have gone over and above and make sure they know that we've spotted it. We also want to be honest with them about their jobs and, and how they can improve. And if someone's not living up to it, we want to have a time to sit down and say, look at, you know what, we tried to give you some warning, but here's where you've been. Let me ask you a question. All of you who have any kind of leadership position, if you have consistent periodic employee reviews, does that encourage better behavior on the job? Oh, you bet it does. And when someone knows it's coming, have you ever noticed how well they step up their game? Isn't that true? Now, by the way, I go through one too with the elders. Everybody needs that. Well, let me tell you something. In the, in the judgment day, you're going to have an employee review. Uh, uh, and, and one of the things you got to know is it's going to be embarrassing for some. And, and the Lord wants us to be aware of that. And so what happens is we realize that everything we do still has to come before God. And God is going to look at that. This love of God, this fear of God works together so that we start wanting to offer God our best. And uh, it changes everything. Everything. Um, I remember one time that Pam and I were invited to this pretty nice party. And, and to be honest, I didn't put my head into it. And Pam had kind of given me some notice, hey, we got to bring something, and all of a sudden it's time to go, and I'd never bought a gift to bring. And it wasn't an occasion where that was okay. And yet to not show up was not an option. And I got to tell you something, I sat there thinking, maybe we'll call and say I'm sick, but that would be a lie. The truth of the matter was, I was going to walk into that place, and we were going to be the only ones there with nothing to give. And it was embarrassing. And uh, I felt like there was a spotlight on me. That, hey, you just, you didn't even care enough to think about that in this moment. And it was clearly the occasion to do it. And uh, the Lord says, I want to ask you, what are you giving to me? That's a part of your motivation, that you're giving something worthwhile. You're giving your heart, you're giving your life, you're giving your energy. And, and again, it's out of a love for God, but also kind of out of a fear for him that we use our lives correctly. That's God's great desire for us, that we would have that. Now, I want to say that much of what we do in life, in reality, is worthless. Uh, uh, and and we've got to get honest about it. A lot of the energy we put in does not have any eternal value. But the key is that we live our life with eternal value. Whatever we do for God will last. And how we work for him, what we do for him, how we're motivated. Do we say, it's, if it's the Lord's will. You know, uh, uh, again, I'm not trying to be condescending, but when you get to heaven, the Lord's not going to look at you and say, you sold the most iPhones. And I just want to reward you for that. Do you think that's what's going to be on the occasion? You sold the most houses. You sold the most computer. You know what? Sometimes in life that we just miss out. I, I did have a friend who was a, a salesman of computers. And when he was getting ready to pass away and we went to visit him in the hospital, he did not do this. He didn't say, man, I wish I could have another year just to sell a few more computers. Now, if you have a job selling computers, that's not evil or wrong. The question is, what are you doing with your energy? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing for God? Now, a lot of things in life we're just going to have to do. 
But the reality is we can take most of those and turn those spiritual if we have the right motivation. But we've got to be using our time and ourselves correctly. That's what God wants us to do. So that in the end, it doesn't become worthless. Now, let me say this. While, while a lot of things we get caught in and don't have a lot of value uh, uh, for eternity, but I want to say this. Every little thing you do for God has eternal value. Uh, there's no small thing in the eyes of God when it is done for him. That's why one of my favorite verses is Zechariah 4.10 that says, For who has despised the day of the small things? Uh, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. Zerubbabel was trying to do something for God. Everybody was ridiculing it, saying it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. This is horrible. And the Lord says, No. You don't see what I see. I see his heart. I see his desire. I see, and there's no small thing. There's no small thing here when you're doing it for me. When you walk into work and you say, Lord, you know what? I'm here today, and if I can somehow be used by you, and maybe it's just to walk up to someone who's down and say, hey, are you okay? Can I pray for you? And God says, oh, that's going to be rewarded. I'm not going to miss that. Uh, maybe it's the idea that, that, you know what, you said, I'm going to go ahead and teach that class at church, and, and I'm going to pour myself into the, and God says, I see that. And, and maybe it's the idea that you have a neighbor and you say, you know what, let's give them dinner tonight or, or let's, you know what, their husband's out of town. Let's go over and take care, make sure they're taking, God says, I see that. And so when we put ourselves in the hands of God, nothing gets missed. But God says, I want you to live your life knowing that one day, one day you're going to have to actually sit before me or stand before me or kneel before me and know that I'm going to be watching you. Uh, it's interesting that we need to have an idea that God is going to judge, period. See, notice what it says in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, if you're a believer, there's no judgment of condemnation, although you have to own up to what you've done and how you've used your life and energy. But if someone's not in a relationship with Christ that is real, then knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing he will judge, we need to have it in our heart to persuade everybody. It was in this very passage about four or five years ago. I was doing a quiet time and I looked at those words and I sat back and I just started jotting down a list of people that I love and care about who are not going to go to heaven. And uh, we need to understand that while you know, our society is so relativistic, they just see this as a difference of opinion. This is a difference of reality. And uh, it got to me and I sat there just aching and all of a sudden it started growing inside these people won't go to heaven. Uh, uh, there is no way. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, life. No one goes to the Father but through him. And, and I started being motivated to be more intentional to share Christ in every one of those situations. Not long ago, Pam and I were about to enter a situation with two people who we know don't have a relationship with Christ. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And I got other people to pray ahead of time. Give us, God, open doors. Let us plant seeds. Let us have opportunities. Let us have spiritual calm. And, and you know what? It wasn't about sharing kind of this methodology. It was about having them know the love of God. About us aching for them inside. And uh, the most important question we can ask anyone is, where are they at with the Lord? By the way, when I came on staff here, I, I didn't want to make just the assumption that everybody here knew Christ. And so one of the goals was to find out where every single person on staff at the church was when their walk with the Lord. And so if I thought there was a chance to share where I was going to go for that, I, I got to tell you something that I thought was really cool. 
uh, Pam the other day was at home. There was a knock at the door, and she opened it, and there were a group of college students standing there. And uh, they said, we're just going around taking a survey about a church. And so Pam goes, oh, my husband's a pastor, and found out they go to Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And uh, we know the pastor there, and it's a great church, awesome church. And so what happened is uh, the girl said, oh, really? Da, da, da. And then the girl looked at Pam and said, well, would you mind telling me your testimony? And Pam called me up. She said, I am so proud of that girl. Just the fact I said I'm a pastor's wife, that wasn't enough. She had to know whether I really knew the Lord or not. Isn't that cool? She wouldn't let her off. She wanted to know, was it real? Was there a relationship? And we were proud of her for that. Because you know what? Too, oh, I go to church. Well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a Del Taco makes you a taco, right? <laughs> any more than going into a donut shop makes you a cop. <laughs> I love that one. But... <laughs> Got my police jokes today. But, but you know what? We've got to ask that question. And uh, uh, we need to have that attitude and wonder, God, what are you doing in this? So we're motivated by a desire to please him. We're motivated uh, uh, by uh, a fear of the Lord, a reverence of God. The idea there is a judgment. But we're also motivated by our love for him and our love for others. Look down at verse 13. Paul says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. But if we are of sound mind, it is for you. He said, every way I act has one thought in mind, and that is, do I love God? And because he loves me, I want to show love back to him. And also, I love other people. So if I'm beside ourselves, if I go crazy, if I go fanatical, it's because I love the Lord. But if I act a different way, it's because I'm intentional about wanting to affect other people with a love for God also. And, and interesting how when love happens, it can change everybody. I've seen people act the strangest ways possible when they fall in love. I had a friend uh, when I, years ago, I, I don't know if this would kind of resonate with you, but I remember one day we're in the car and he turns on my radio and up pops love songs from the coast. And he goes, what are you listening to, man? I go, oh, it's the wrong station. And I'm trying to, yeah. he goes, Pam was in the car. I said, yeah, you know, we listened to that together. Well, about two months later, I'm in his car, and all of a sudden, he turns on his radio. He doesn't even hide it. It's love songs from the coast. Do you know what changed? Not, his, not the music. What changed is he had met this girl, and now they had their song. It was kind of sick, but the reality is... <laughs> When you fall in love, you act strangely out of a love for someone. And Paul said, sometimes I just go crazy because I love the Lord so much. I, I, I find myself acting almost fanatical in my love for him. I just love God. But he says there's something else, though. I'm also very, very careful to be intentional that I affect others. If I have a sound mind, if I have an intentionality, I want to affect people in a certain way. By the way, uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, and I hope you are. But one of the things we really value here is to try to be very intentional about how we affect someone who's never heard about Jesus. Now, we're never going to water down the gospel. We're never going to take away from what it says. If someone gets offended because we speak this correctly, well, that's, that's okay. You know, we're, we're willing to take that because we're never, ever going to uh, have a, a lack of integrity. Part of the sign of being a Christian is unimpeachable integrity. But an authentic Christian does think about ahead of time how to affect people in an intentional way. So without ever putting on a show, without being inauthentic, you need to know that we want to be careful to do things to actually reach out and, and build a bridge with people who don't know Christ. And we're going to be doing that uh, continually. We already have and we still will. Paul talks about that when he says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win the more. 
To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under law as under the law, not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the laws, without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of God, or of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. You ready for this? To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all men, so that I might all, by all means, save some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a partaker of it. You catch that, that motivation, that desire. He said, you know what? I'm not going to ever not be a Christian, but when I'm in a Jewish setting, I'm going I'm to not do anything to offend Jewish people. Why? Because I want to win them. And, and when I'm in a Gentile setting, I'm not going to do anything to offend the, the non-Jewish people, so I might win them. And, and you know what? Is we need to be that way. Uh, uh, the bottom line is the truth of the gospel never changes, but the methods might change or, or what surrounds it might. Those are all up uh, in the air based on how do we communicate in a very clear way. Our music might change. Our methods might change. We're going to use a lot of creativity constantly. And the purpose always is how can we win the more? How can we win the more? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33, it says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they might be saved. Now, that's what we do. Uh, I, I learned the secret of that from a lady named Mrs. Dolan. Mrs. Dolan was 94 years old, and she was a high school youth sponsor. 94. And then she was an awesome youth sponsor at Eastside Christian Church. And I remember that, that this was back in the days when, you know, the church had some musical changes going on. And all of a sudden, you know, we had all this new praise music coming. And then there was this, this uh, Christian rock band coming. And, and what happened is some people uh, asked Mrs. Dolan, they said, are you going to go to that Christian rock concert? And she said, yes, I am. And she, they said, are you, do you like that kind of music? She said, no, but I love those kids. Now, isn't that the kind of attitude we're talking about? You see, it's the idea that I don't have to have my personal opinions always met. I don't always have to have myself profit. It, it's got to be what is going to be more effective in building that bridge and seeing people come to know Christ without ever taking away from the purity of the gospel. And, and that is something we need to think about. And it motivates us. It motivates us. So we constantly around here are asking the question, are we being effective? If people aren't coming to know Christ in an area where 85% of the people in this area probably aren't attending a church anywhere, then something's wrong. And we want us to be motivated by our love for him and our love for others. Now, verses 14 and 15, look what it says here. For the love of Christ controls us. What is the ultimate motivation of all? It's the love of Jesus. It controls me. It's all enveloped in that. The love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. He said, you know what, Paul goes, man, it's the fact that God loves me and my love for him, it just permeates everything I do. But you know why it really does? He says it's because I know what God did for me. I know I have a heavenly father who gave his only begotten son, so that I might have life. And if God did that for me, I want to give him everything I have. I can't hold back. I can't stand back. I can't not be a part of that. It changes everything about me. A parent who sees a child in need would do almost anything for that child. And that's who you and I are. And we realize that God looks at you and says, I would do anything to love you. I would do anything to have a relationship with you. It changes everything. Uh, it was uh, quite a few years ago in the East San Gabriel Valley where a a mother and father's 14-year-old daughter began to have health problems. 
And they took her into the doctor, and the doctor came out, and he said, I've got really bad news for you. I've never seen this before. At a very young age, cancer is eating her alive. Uh, I don't know how long she has. I'm going to say four or five years, but it's going to be a tough four or five years. Our only hope is if we can have a bone marrow match. So the parents immediately were tested. They didn't match. They, they went out and got every relative they could. They didn't match. They did blood drive after blood drive and marrow test after marrow test, and nobody matched. And they were watching their daughter going to die, and not only a death, a pretty horrific one. And they thought, we've got to do something. And some of you might have heard about this because they made... A, a, a very, very, I think, incredible choice. They went through some medical procedures so the mother could get pregnant again. Because the odds of a family member matching were the highest of all. And so she on purpose got pregnant so they could give birth to a child, hoping that child would match their daughter and save her life. And uh, what happened is, is she did get pregnant and she gave birth and, and the baby was a match. And they would have to wait a period of time, but they thought we're in the window of opportunity for this. But here's what's interesting. Uh, When word got out about what they had done, there were a lot of people who attacked them. I mean, there were articles in the paper attacking them. It was very, the media had people on the news attacking this mother and father. Now, I don't know what your opinion is, but here's mine. I'm going to go ahead and give you mine. I think it's pretty easy to be an armchair quarterback and watch your child die and, and say, I would watch my child die. But I would say all of us who've been parents, I, I got to say this, Pam and I would do the same thing. If uh, one of my granddaughters had a need and they said, Pam, getting pregnant, we would go for it. Uh, we'd do anything. And that's what this mother and father did. And then there were these questions, well, aren't you just using this baby? And they're like, no, we love the new child too. We feel like that was God calling us back to a whole new thing. But the bottom line was, she said, we would do anything to save our daughter. Now, the, the, the youngest child would never be old enough to have a choice to be able to say yes or no. I mean, when they did the procedure, she'd be too young, and so obviously she'd be under the parents, and, and they went ahead and did it, and the procedure worked, and now they have both daughters to this day. Now, uh, both of them are alive. It was a few years ago I saw an interview with the two daughters, and the youngest one is thrilled that she got to do this. And the oldest daughter, what do you think she thinks? She said, I love my mom and dad, but I love my sister. I love my sister because she's my sister, but I love my sister because she gave me life. And then she said this. She goes, she gave me life, and I want to tell you something. I would die for her. I would, and, and, you know, I, I'm just going to assume that that's true in every area of their life. Do you realize there's a father in heaven who looked at you and said, I love you. And sin is eating you alive. So I'm going to send my only begotten son to give his blood and his life, his very soul for you so that you could have life with me. So I could adopt you. So you could live not only for now but all eternity. That's what God did. And you know what? All of us who really believe that, that changes everything about what we do. But it also tells you how much you're loved. Today, if you've never entered into an authentic, intimate relationship with Christ, I want to give you a chance to do it. Now, how do you do that? How do you enter that relationship? The answer is this. The Bible says you just accept it. You say yes to God. You call out to him and say, I do want to live my life this way. I I know now you love me, and I want to live my life with you and for you. And now I want that to dominate everything. 
And today, if you can't say that you're living your life motivated by a love for God, today, if you can't say you're living your life with the desire to be in this intimate relationship, now this is the last part, don't miss this. If you can't honestly say that you know him and you're living life with him, I want you to know he wants it with you. Your father in heaven moved heaven and earth to have this relationship with you. He gave Jesus. And now if you are not in that relationship, I'm positive he's going to stir and touch your heart. And what you need to do is pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. So today, if you're not in an intimate relationship with the Lord, I'm going to ask you in a moment to commit to do that just by whispering a prayer right where you're sitting. If you used to be, if you say, you know what, I, at one time that's how I lived my life, but now i got to be honest, I've been living it for me and not for him. And if you need to come back to that relationship, I want you to know he wants you back. But I want to ask you also to pray that prayer to recommit yourself. Let's pray. Father, I know that you love us. And I really, I honestly love you. I thank you for the life that you've given me. I thank you for the way you've loved me. I thank you, God, that when I messed up, that you've just washed me clean. But I just want, with everything I have, to live a life that, that pleases you, a life that is effective for you. And I pray that every person here, we all share that together. And the Lord, when you look upon this place, you see men and women and guys and girls who just with everything they have, they want to live their lives with you. They want to live for you. They want to make a difference. They want to be who you created and be and live the life that you have for them to live. And I hope every one of us would say those words, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you, Lord. Father, today I pray if there's somebody here who needs to give their life to you, there's a man sitting in this room right now who knows that deep down he's not been in being the father you created him to be. His kids haven't had the best from him. And you, Lord, have called him to this amazing ministry where he'd live his life not only with you and for you, but he would do it in ministry to his children. Father, I pray today you would stir in his heart and he would be ready to commit his life to you. Father, I pray right now for the woman who's sitting here and she knows that she has sisters that uh, they need to know your love and she hasn't she hasn't been the voice for you that she should have been and I pray right now Lord she would know that you love her anyway but it's time for her to commit completely to following you no matter what Father I pray right now your Holy Spirit would move and that anybody here who needs to just commit themselves to you or recommit to you. That right now they'd be ready and to say this. They'd be ready to whisper these words. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. But today, if you want to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, would you whisper some words with me? Would you pray a prayer with me? I'll pray a line. I'll let you pray it. But I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're ready today to make this commitment to God, I'd like you to do something a little bit physical. I'd like you right now, if you're thinking, I'm going to pray this prayer, I'm going to commit to him. Would you just lift your hand in the hair and, and just raise your hand. And what you're saying is, I'm doing this. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. Praise God. Wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. And up here, praise God. Wow. Wow, praise the Lord for each one of you. For all of you that God's touching right now, that's stirring inside, just, just pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be free, so I could be new. And I say yes. I want your love. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and with your presence. And please fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you've always created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. I'm yours. Completely. So draw me close. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.